Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. Welcome to the Raptors Reasonablest Podcast on The Athletic. I'm Eric Clarine, my usual partner in crime, Blake Murphy, said at the last minute he could not record. He all of a sudden had to get rid of extra tickets for all of Greektown Wrestling's events in the next three or four years. So he had to like get one ticket out of his hands for the next event and He's, uh, I don't know what the secondary market is going to be on those, but we have a capable uh, replacement. Uh, if anybody can fill those shoes, it's uh, Josh Lewenberg of TSN, TSN.ca, TSN 1050 fame, your Raptors reporter. How you doing, Josh? Good, Ecor. I thought you were going to say that Blake was helping Masai and Bobby formulate a trade for Harden. Um, I mean... What help does he need with that when people have already suggested all of them on Twitter? So there's oh uh, yeah, well we know Masai and Bobby are on Twitter. Yeah, uh, they're they're uh, they've learned from Brian Colangelo's fiasco, and and what they've learned is create more anonymous uh, Twitter accounts. Uh, like an idiot, Josh, I, I was going this morning through the Raptors box scores from the first two preseason games. Uh, really trying to cobble together a, a rundown for this podcast, thinking that we'd be talking about DeAndre Bembry and Malachi Flynn and the potential problems at backup center. <laughs> Wait, uh, are we not doing that? We still might do that uh, because on this podcast, we know, love nothing more than preseason minutia. But we have some actual news to cover uh, two pieces of news, one of which I think is the overwhelming uh, thing that is on the mind of Raptor, minds of Raptors fans today. Uh, about two hours ago, we're recording this at uh, 4 p.m. on Monday, Tuesday, whatever day it is. Uh, and it's a good thing we did. Yeah. Uh, Giannis... Otherwise, you'd be getting 40 minutes of Flynn and Bembry. <laughs> uh, no, that will be Friday's game, uh, where it will just be 40 minutes of Flynn and Bembry on the court. Uh, Yadis Antetokounmpo uh, broke the news himself. I think actually the Athletics champs, Terrania, might have beaten him to the punch. I'm not sure. I don't follow Giannis on Twitter. And now I don't have to because Giannis has announced that he is signing the Supermax. Well, he didn't release the financial details, but we know he's signing the Supermax uh, with the Milwaukee Bucks. After this year, he is now on the book, the books with Milwaukee. Uh, five years, two hundred and twenty-eight plus million dollars. Good deal if you can negotiate it. Uh, and just for kicks, he has a player option on that fifth year. So uh, you really can ask for everything in this world. It's, 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 <laughs> it's okay. The Raptors are getting in 2025, 2025. Giannis to the Raptors. Yeah, he'll only be thirty-two or thirty-three at that point. Um, <laughs> oh, I, this is 
the reasonable list. I'm not allowed to say things like that. Yeah. Um, so before we get into what this means for the Raptors, let, let's just go as big picture as possible. When you first saw the news, Josh, what was uh, what was your immediate reaction? I wasn't entirely surprised. I was a little bit surprised that it's taken this long because the sense that I got, I mean, me personally, but then also from speaking to people around the league after the Bucks. Uh, pulled off the trade, or at least news of the trade for Drew Holiday came out uh, about a month ago. The sense that I think a lot of people had was that the Bucks would be crazy to mortgage their future as drastically as they did to acquire a player like Drew Holiday, who, I mean, listen, he, he's really good. One of the better two-way players, one of the better two-way point guards in the NBA, but not the superstar player I think a lot of people were envisioning them trying to pair Giannis with in order to appease him. So I think most people figured, okay, if they're making a move like that, they probably got some sort of assurance from Giannis that he intends on sticking around and signing that extension. Um, And then things go quiet for a while and there's all these weird um, Ten references with the Bucks <laughs> and their players, and people are trying to figure out what to make of that, and Giannis's silence and all of that. But yeah, I mean, this seemed to be where things were headed, so I wasn't entirely surprised. Yeah, I think the thing that complicated that is the holiday news was paired with the original Bogdan Bogdanovich news, yeah. um, and then once that deal fell through, and hilarious only in the NBA form. <laughs> Uh, if we could even call it a deal, who knows? Uh, maybe it was just something in the uh, uh, the eye of John Horst. I, I, I don't know. Um, but that seemed to indicate maybe there was an agreement, but it was based on something that didn't end up happening, and who knows where things stand. But, I mean, the reality is Giannis was overseas at the time, and these deals are complicated, and there is I's and T's to cross, and maybe Giannis just wakes up one day and says, this seems like a good day to sign the extension. I'll do it today. Uh, well, he's got the pens to do it. Yeah, and, and he didn't want the good news of the vaccine on Monday to overshadow his good news in Milwaukee. I'm sure the two were very related. Um, he saw Malachi Flynn go <laughs> off yesterday, and he's like, listen, the Raptors don't even need yeah, me now. I, want, so. I, I need the ball, and like, why would they give it to me? Uh, <laughs> obviously, that was the conclusion. Um, Obviously, there's a huge Raptors component to this story. Uh, the Raptors, other than re-signing Fred Van Vliet uh, to the four-year $85 million contract, other than drafting uh, Malachi Flynn, the next Raptors superstar, 29th overall, which comes with it, I believe, at least two guaranteed years and then options that can take it through four years, added no guaranteed money for next season. Uh most notably, that's it's believed that's where the Serge Ibaka negotiations, there, there was a bit of a holdup there. I, I still think there's a bit of speculation going on with that. Um, but certainly Ibaka left for two guaranteed years, a player option on the second year. And everything the Raptors did was, uh, you know, from the outside, looked to be maintaining flexibility for 2021. And Giannis was certainly the biggest prize in that class, not the only prize, but the biggest uh, prize, and certainly the one with the most ties or, or the most significant ties to the Raptors, if you exclude Kawhi Leonard, who uh, has a ring with the Raptors. And, and I don't want to turn this into Kawhi fan fiction. Um, but 
does the news, uh, before we look forward, does the news of Giannis re-signing change anything about your outlook of what happened with Serge Ibaka? And to a lesser extent, uh, I think we can agree, Marcus Gasol. And you can go back even further than that. I mean, Kyle Lowry and those negotiation uh, negotiations from a year ago and his extension, yeah. that, that was the compromise, right? Is give him a higher salary than he probably would have gotten had he waited the year and, and signed somewhere in free agency. He probably wouldn't have gotten $31 million a year, but he wanted a longer term. The compromise was, okay, one year fits in with our timeline. We give you the money. I mean, pretty much since the moment that Kawhi left, they shifted gears to 2021 and, and maybe Giannis as the top target. If you want to look at it like that, it, it's influenced every decision, almost every decision that they've made, including the decisions now that we've seen that they haven't made in terms of surge and Mark and, and some of the things that they could have done this summer. I don't think like not, not only do I look, not look at things differently in terms of what they've already done, but I don't even think this necessarily changes things in terms of what they're going to do or how they're going to approach next summer. We know that as long as Masai has been in charge of things that they've valued flexibility and not flexibility necessarily in terms of cap space, because they haven't had cap space since 2015, 2015. Yeah. Damari Carroll, a signing that we know went according to plan and no one has ever criticized. And, and let us not forget the meeting with LaMarcus Aldridge. Great, yes, great moments in Raptors history. So it hasn't necessarily been about cap space, but it's always been about flexibility and the idea of having options and being able to change course whenever you deem it necessary. And, and having this cap flexibility now is, is sort of like the ultimate version of being able to do that. So I still think they like the idea. I mean, certainly they've worked hard to maintain that cap flexibility, but I think they like the idea of being able to go in whatever direction they decide to go in next summer, whether that's, you, you mentioned it, the, the free agent class, not quite as loaded up top as we thought that it could be without Giannis and Paul George, but still pretty deep and other guys that you could chase, or there are trades you can make. And we know that the Raptors have a history, at least in terms of uh, the, the recent history of rolling the dice on, on a superstar player that doesn't necessarily have them atop his list. Um, guys like that in the NBA become available far more often than any other sport disgruntled superstars that want out. So you have that flexibility potentially to go out and make a deal if there's one out there, or you could bring guys back. If you decide this is the team to double down on, bring back Kyle, bring back OG. Uh, they'd have the flexibility. I think that's probably what they still value. The only real decision I, I think they have that maybe this Giannis decision could impact, and I'm sure we'll talk about this, is whether this changes things in terms of their approach uh, with OG and his potential extension. Yeah, and uh, to review that, it's something we've written a lot about at The Athletic. Uh, if you're not a subscriber to The Athletic, uh, theathletic.com slash we the six, uh, six I-X, we the six, I think that's it, or I'm giving you a wrong uh, promo code. Uh, and you can read all this stuff we've written, plus a Giannis column coming from me any minute now. Uh, you'll probably be able to read it as uh, you listen to this. But uh, we, uh, Blake and I, did a mock negotiation uh, for OG Ananobi at the beginning of the offseason, which was like a week ago. Um, <laughs> I'm still not sure on the timeline of all this. And 
obviously paramount on the Raptors' minds at that point was that 2021 flexibility. And as you point out, that hasn't necessarily changed. Uh, Just the prize in terms of using it all on one free agent has changed. Um, And so OG Ananobi, if he does enter restricted free agency, would go into the offseason with a cap hold on the Raptors' books of $11.6 million. And so the Raptors, if they agree with with Ananobi on an extension before December 21st, which is the deadline, that's next Monday, uh, that number would change to whatever the starting salary is of the new deal. And you would have to assume it would be uh, above $11.6 million dollars or else why would OG Ananobi sign it? Saying that, Josh, you anticipated my question. Uh, how much does this news, do you think, change the calculations the Raptors are doing on what is a good deal for them? And By which I mean, obviously, any dollar over $11.6 million beforehand might have been critical, whereas now it still is, but you also start to think, about the difference between signing him now and what you might save versus him going to restricted free agency, where all of a sudden he's one of the more appealing potential free agents. Yeah, I mean, the Giannis extension does have an impact on on this decision, I think. And and it could change things, because now I think you're a little bit more open to the idea of, of signing that extension if you can, in fact, get what you deem to be a, a, a really good deal if you're Messiah and the Raptors. Uh, historically, the Raptors have preferred to, to sign. Yeah, I think DeLon in- Wright is the exception there. Yeah. Uh, but generally, Jonas Valanciunas, Terrence Ross, Terrence Ross. Um, Pascal Siakam, dating, dating back to DeMar, like those guys were all signed after their third year uh, when they became... Attempt, uh, extension eligible, and not all of those guys were, you know, no-brainers to do that. Uh, I'd say, like, we debated the Siak- the merits of the Siakam extension at the time, but his market was pretty firmly established as being the max. Like, I think even after the finals last year, or the playoffs last year, he still would have received the max from somebody this summer. So it was just a matter yep. of giving it then or now. Uh, the other three, I think those were more hotly contested from a is it worth doing it now perspective. Uh, and Ananobi, I'd say his market is tough to read. Uh, anyway, I cut you off. So um, as a as a sort of, you know, low usage, one of the better and certainly one of the more versatile defenders in the league, the Raptors love OG Ananobi. There's no question that they want him to be part of the core. How much do you think this shifts where they're willing to go up to. Obviously, you can't give dollar figures unless you know something I don't. Uh, but but what? How do you think this changes the math? Well, I, well, first of all, in terms of dollar figures, like that, that's what's really interesting to me because I, I really have I have no idea where they would fall, what OG and his camp would ask for versus what the Raptors are thinking. Like, if I had to ballpark it, and I'm interested to hear what your opinion is on this too, but. I don't know, maybe something in the neighborhood of, of the Van Vliet contract for 85, or is that too much? Um, that's In terms of what they'd be looking for. Uh, that, from the Raptors' perspective or from OG's perspective? From OG's perspective. 
Yeah, so I'm just heading back as we speak to our mock negotiation exercise. And in this exercise, Blake represented the Raptors and I represented uh, Clutch Sports with LeBron James on my speed dial, uh, obviously. Uh, And the places where we ended up, uh, and I think, and then again, like, this this was in a world in which OGN or uh, uh, Yada Kupo had not signed the extension. Uh, I started at, from Ananobi's perspective at four years and ninety two million, and the Raptors ended up at four year or started at four years and fifty million. Um, and the place where we ended up having no deal, uh, we did not come to an agreement to this mock negotiation, was uh, my offer of three years plus a player option at $73 million a year and the Raptors at same term for $60 million. Uh, I'm guessing right now the Raptors would jump at the opportunity to sign Ananobi to a three-year plus a player option at $73 million. Uh, that's just my sense of things, and yeah. that's maybe where things have shifted now. Yeah, I, I mean, two or three hours ago, whenever, <laughs> I mean, we'll say a day ago, because it depends on when people are listening to this, but pre-Giannis extension, I would have said there's almost no chance that this happens, and there's no chance that it should have happened. I mean, there are obvious benefits that we talk about all the time to signing guys of OG's caliber, the the non-max players to a contract extension. One is obviously building the goodwill with the player and and the representatives. And the other is probably getting them at at a better cost, a more favorable cost than you would if you wait and and sign him when he becomes a restricted free agent or match match an offer sheet. Um, But none of those benefits outweighed the idea of, of being able to salvage more of that cap space, especially with the Giannis pipe dream still alive. And, and it was more than just Giannis. Obviously we talk about that. And we talked about that earlier uh, of being able to do multiple things with that cap space. But if Giannis was indeed their top target and we believe strongly that he was with him off the board. Now this does become a lot more interesting where I think if you're the Raptors, you have to consider it. If you look at that cost that you can, that you, whatever it ends up being that you determine that you can get him for. And if it does seem like something that's going to be a major discount from what you project him to get in a year from now, then I, I, I think now it seems a lot closer to 50-50 in terms of the likelihood of yeah. something getting done versus the whatever it was, yeah. 0 to 10% that it might have been pre And even extension. if there's no team benefit uh, in terms of just raw numbers, you have to remember when, you, when you're fielding offer sheets, teams make those as punitive to the signing team as, as potential, if they really, uh, as possible, if they really want the player. And even if you look at Pascal Siakam's contract and say, well, no, the Raptors didn't get great value on it, well, they didn't have to give him a player option. And that's just one example. So uh, long story short, I think, like, I agree with your analysis. I think there's a potential deal here somewhere in the four, like 75, 80 over four uh, type range. Uh, The really difficult thing about projecting this, and I've written this about 
uh, Ananobi multiple times, is the track record of low-usage players signing rookie extensions is really, really small. And OG Ananobi's is, is what, around 14% for his career, maybe lower than that. Uh, he just, so, I mean, this year in which you figure that OG Ananobi is going to have a bigger part of the offense uh, and just a bigger role on that end of the floor, it might be crucial data that the Raptors value over that. And maybe other teams value uh, it too. So there are reasons for the Raptors to still want some more certainty in what they're paying for. But as you pointed out, their history suggests that they have chosen cost certainty over an extra year of data. Uh, And if I had to bet, I would say a deal gets done. Uh, I'm not at all confident with that. Uh, Where are you putting your money? I I know you don't like to gamble, but if you had to. And yeah, I mean, I I said 50-50, I guess I, I would... I would lean now more towards it getting done because I do think there's a price there. And as you mentioned, the history, this one is really tricky, though, because as you mentioned, just about every rookie extension is being done with expected value in mind more than actual value and what that player has done up to this point. And and especially in the case of, even in the case of Pascal Siakam a year ago, you were projecting more than anything else. How is he going to look in a number one role? Because Kawhi had already left, but even with Pascal, at least there was some track record of, of high usage. Whereas as you mentioned with OG, it's almost entirely projected value. I mean, we've seen flashes and, and there's obviously cause for optimism. I mean, right now there's a lot of cause for optimism. I think people are really excited about what OG can be not only this year, but then beyond. And there's an argument to be made that, there's a higher upside here than there might be with Siakam. And then there might be with, I, I know this is the reasonableness and, and maybe I shouldn't be suggesting no, this. Well, but... We've had Waz on here, the, the unreasonableness. <laughs> so you're allowed to do whatever you'd like. In terms of the ceiling, when you look at what he's capable of potentially as a two-way star, as a guy who's already, I would say, close to an elite defender at his position in the NBA and who's showing some signs of being an offensive creator, a versatile offensive creator. Um, We talk about, okay, four years, 85, the Fred Van Vliet deal. He's, I I think, more valuable long-term, a more valuable long-term piece than than Fred is. The the ceiling might be higher than Pascal, but all of this might maybe, like those are the key words here. This is entirely projected value in and, and anticipating how good he might, become and yeah i mean that that's really tricky when you're talking about rookie extensions so yeah i think if you're the raptors you do it in a heartbeat if you can sign him to a deal that you you feel good about and and you feel comes uh, much lower than than he'd get on the open market next year especially we haven't mentioned this but the honest thing the honest thing is interesting now too because you've got all these teams that were collecting money and, and and trying to maintain their cap space looking ahead to 2021. The the free agent crop yeah. is still good, but now no Paul George, no Giannis. 
it's still deep, but there's a lot of teams that are going to have a lot of space, and maybe that means overpaying exactly. some guys that are exactly. the tier two, tier three players, and, and OG could fall into that that tier. And three and D wings, and if that's all OG Ananobi is, uh, I think he's sort of established that as his floor is a three and D role playing wing, a good fifth, like a very good fifth starter. If that's his floor, he'll get paid. Um, yeah. So. Uh, uh, what we've seen from the other side, and I don't want to belabor this because uh, we can talk a lot more next week after we know whether this deal does or does not get done, uh, but guys who have only made, not only, it's a lot of money you get if you're a first-round draft pick, but it's hard to say no to $80 million when you've never been given an opportunity to acquire it before. Uh, so, uh, I mean, his agents will certainly present, uh, Clutch Sports will certainly present uh, what the market might look like ahead of that. But there's uh, something to be said for locking yourself into, at worst, 75 or $80 million. Have you seen him wear a bet on yourself t-shirt? <laughs> Bet on, bet on market scarcity. Uh, <laughs> uh, anyway, OG thinks market scarcity is cool. Um, so just quickly uh, going over the 2021 uh, market, uh, we're looking, uh, we won't analyze any of these plays for Raptor's sake, but without... Bring back Damar, yeah, baby! Uh, so Kawhi Leonard, Blake Griffin... Bring back Kawhi, Ka- baby! Kyle Lowry, of course, uh, Damar DeRozan... Drew Holiday, if he doesn't resign, Rudy Gobert, Victor Oladipo, and then it gets, I mean, there are still good good players and uh, guys who can help your team, but you're definitely jumping down a level in, in terms of the unrestricted guys. Uh, so that, you know, if you don't think you can get Kawhi Leonard, unless you love multiple He's an easy guy to read. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, the Raptors, 16 months ago or whatever, were feeling pretty good about their opportunities to, to retain Kawhi Leonard. Uh, so now that they haven't... The CP24 chopper. Let's get them out there now. Yeah, no, now that, now that uh, Masai Ujiri disturbed his sleep repeatedly in the bubble, he's even less likely to come back to Toronto. Uh, that's, no, I think he respects that. <laughs> um so unless you think you could retain multiple of the, or, or multiple, you think you could get multiple of those players, retaining Ananobi makes some sense. There's also the trade market, which you mentioned. Uh, James Harden's obviously the top of that list. Uh, uh, briefly, I don't think it's likely. And while the Raptors, I th- like most teams in general, will bet on talent, I can't think of a much worse culture matchup than James Harden and the Toronto Raptors? I mean, does this seem ins- does that take seem too hot for you, Josh? I would agree, but I would also say, like, this is the NBA, man. In, in three weeks from now, a different <laughs> superstar will be disgruntled yeah. and demand a trade, and then we'll be talking about that. And that's why, yeah, I mean, you, you want to put yourself in a position yeah. as the Raptors have before and, and now might again to be in a position to jump on that next guy. And that honestly, given the way that free agent crop is looking now, it's still good, but like that might be their best bet at opening up their next championship window is waiting on that next player and hoping to take advantage of that next superstar that becomes available in the trade market. Because I'm not like Victor Oladipo is really good. 
Rudy Gobert is really yes. good. Like these, these are yes, these are these are all star players that do. I don't want to say they don't move the needle. They absolutely move the needle, but they don't move the needle in a, in a championship type of way in the same way that. Giannis or a Kawhi would so yeah I'm, I'm not sure I, I don't see that path that a, a, attainable path right now to opening that window but at the same time I, I think this is important to say and we're waiting until whatever it is 25 minutes into this podcast to say it but just because we saw an attainable window before with Giannis doesn't mean it was ever likely right yeah. and this is I guess this is on brand with being uh, being on the reasonablest podcast but the odds were never good. The Raptors knew that. And that's why, like, this is a disappointing day for them, I'm sure, to some degree. But only to some degree. They knew that the odds weren't good. They knew that the stars would have to align for it to happen. And I don't just say that because they're the Raptors. I know a lot of people would, would think. What a homer. <laughs> yeah. Well, no, a lot of people would, would think that way, too, that, OK, it was unlikely. But they would say it's unlikely because they're the Raptors. I actually think personally, my opinion was that if he did become a free agent and if he did decide to leave Milwaukee, the Raptors would have had just as good a chance, I think, as anybody, given the pitch that they could make and what they have to offer and the the connection with Masai and all of that but even still so much would have had to happen he'd have to turn down this super max extension the richest contract in NBA history he'd have to then become a free agent decide to leave Milwaukee the only home he's known in the NBA and a place that he has said he's fiercely loyal to and then yeah he'd have to choose the Raptors over not just one two three teams over a lot of really good teams that were going to be vying for him so it, it was always unlikely it was always something of a pipe dream and that's why it's crazy to think now that it's like okay well back to the drawing board or let's call an audible now that we don't get Giannis maybe that means okay plan a is out the window but we can confidently say knowing Masai and Bobby that they've anticipated this scenario they planned for it and that they have a plan B and a plan C and a plan D and whatever else. And then all these things are going to happen and, and open up and all these other options are going to open up from now until whenever free agency starts. So yeah. disappointment, sure, but like small, minor disappointment. I know another thing fans will be focusing on with this is Masai Ujiri's focus on Toronto. Uh, I'll just say that I spent a lot of my column on this talking about it. Uh, Masai is difficult to read, and I can't say that this certainly makes things more uh, more unlikely for him to stay beyond this this season. It does make it harder to open up that championship contention window immediately, but Masai Ujiri also likes challenges, so we'll see with that. Uh, we must get to some other news uh, quickly. Uh, before we get to the preseason games, which we'll do a, uh, a super fast rundown of, the other news today is the Raptors announced that they will be allowing 3,200 fans at a Amelie Arena for Friday's preseason game and up to 3,800 fans for regular season games. Uh, social distancing rules in effect, nobody within 30 feet of the court, uh, all receiving health checks. Um, I went on a bit of one on Twitter today saying it's not, I'm not, I'm so, you do not see a medical degree in my back pocket, as our friend Sam Mitchell used to say. Uh, and I can't say whether this is safe or not. 
Uh, I'm sure they are taking all, most reasonable precautions to ensure the safety of everyone and especially their players and, and their staff members. But it's just a bad look, I think. Uh, I don't know how you feel about this, if you have any feelings about it, uh, but I, this wasn't my favorite news of the day. No, like the Giannis news, I wasn't surprised by this news either. It seemed like it was only a matter of time. It seemed like that's where this was headed, especially considering um, Orlando and Miami are, are both hosting fans as well, yeah. correct? Um, yeah. I mean, uh, I'm, I know Orlando yeah, is. Of course Orlando would. Uh, but uh, <laughs> that's a shade at their owners for those who aren't familiar. I'm not positive yes. about Miami. I believe there were four or five teams who had committed to uh, hosting some fans. Yeah, I mean, it's not great. <laughs> the Raptors make this decision to go to Florida Um a known hot spot, hot bed literally. of the literally of of the virus throughout the pandemic. When there were other options available, but this was a, a player preference to go there for the tax situation and for the warm weather and all of that. But yeah, I mean, there, there was going to be obviously be risk regardless of, yeah. of where you went to play. They're going to be traveling around. They're going to be in Florida at points regardless because of, of the heat and, and the magic being there. So it's not like if they would have chosen a state where there are fewer cases that they would have been safe there, maybe a little bit safer, but like, I mean, it still is what it is. Uh, but they made this decision to go there. Now they made this decision to have fans in the arena. Like you, I don't, I can't say how safe it is or not, you know, but it just, even, even as I was starting to wrap my head around the idea of NBA arenas hosting yeah. fans a few months ago, it confuses me as to how this is going to go because yeah. Okay. You can space people out in the stands. You don't have to sell consecutive seats, you, you, whatever it is, you, you arrange it so that everybody is socially distanced when they're sitting down. But how are they going to get to their seats? How, how are people going to get to the point to where they're sitting down? Are you um, staggering entrance times? How, how is that going to work? How is it going to work in terms of concessions and people going to the bathrooms? This is not a, an open air stadium like some of these NFL stadiums are. So yeah, there, there are logistical concerns, things that I just don't understand in terms of how it's going to work. Um, and yeah, I, I think the optics of it, it, it's, it's, I don't know. It's not great. Yeah. I hate talking about optics versus the reality of things. Uh, and that's why I'm, well, the reality is not great. Yeah. Either. Yeah. I mean, reality, not the reality, the only, like just reality. Is it great period? Um, but yes. Uh, and I just can't talk, with enough knowledge to feel comfortable about that reality. I just know the way it looks sort of sucks, especially after as a team, you, you've talked about keeping health first and keeping the safety of everybody at mind, uh, at top of mind. Uh, you just can't say with a straight face that that is your priority if you're allowing fans into the game. And yes, the, the owners and the players Part of the reason they want to be playing, a big part of the reason is the money, and this creates more revenue for the league, which means more revenue for the players, et cetera, et cetera. I just don't like the way it looks, and I'm fearful that it's not entirely safe, too, but that's just fear. And uh, 
anyway, we'll see how that goes. Hopefully the people who do go to the games can use their heads and, and uh, that the Raptors and the authorities down in Tampa and the league combine to make as safe a, as an environment as possible. Uh, quickly, let's talk about, you know, basketball. <laughs> if you're up for it, Josh. Uh, the Raptors played their first two preseason games on the weekend or, or over Saturday and Monday. Saturday, they beat Charlotte 111 to 100. On Monday, they beat the Hornets again 112 to 109. Let's just hit on two quick positives and two quick negatives. Uh, Malachi Flynn, nine points, four assists in the first game. Uh, 17 and 3 in the second game, shot 10 for 19 and was a combined plus 48 overall. Uh, are you engraving the Rookie of the Year trophy yet? Uh, and more, on a more serious note, does he deserve, based on this, a legitimate shot at, at playing meaningful minutes right away? No, 100% deserves a, a legitimate shot. And I would say that, I mean, Based on what we've heard about how he's looked in, in practice and training camp and what we've seen in two games, I, I think it's it's safe to say that he's going to be involved to some degree, that he's going to have his opportunity. And guys like that, they don't tend to waste opportunities. And, and that's what we've seen, I think, from him so far. And the, the Fred Van Vliet comparisons, I, I think they apply not only to his game and, and what we've seen from him on the defensive end, where I think he's got a lot of Fred in him, but also the the DNA, the, the, the approach and, and the, the demeanor of the player. Um, he, I don't know. He, he's, he's really impressed me so far. Um, he has I granted all of the usual preseason caveats apply and, and empty arena and Charlotte and all of that, but he hasn't looked phased by anything outside of like maybe the first 30 seconds he was on the floor. He misses a yeah. layup and two free throws. But then from that point on, like, he, he does not look like a rookie. It doesn't look like he feels like a rookie. And that was the book on him coming in. That's why they liked him. That, that's what was advertised was that he has a poison professionalism to him that made him a very Raptors-y pick. And yeah, I, I, think, I think he's going to fit in pretty well with the way that they like to play, the things they like to do, and all the things that we hear about in terms of on-court and off-the-court culture. He feels like he fits yeah, right in. Yeah, and... He's a, his strength, really, is he was one of the best pick-and-roll point guards in the draft, if not the best pick-and-roll point guard in the draft. And um, so he makes natural sense uh, if he's able to defend at a certain level alongside Kyle Lowry and, Fred Van, and or Fred Van Vliet, much like, you know, they have been able to form a, a pairing that works despite their size. And the reason you'd want to do that is because they're two of the best shooters on this team, and and the more they can stand in the corners or the elbows taking uh, pretty clean looks, uh, the better for the Raptors, which brings us to our second positive, DeAndre Bembry, who was a plus 17 in the first game, plus 10 in the second game. Uh, he had nine points and two assists and did a little bit of ball handling, uh, and Fred Van Vliet invoked... Patrick McCaw in his post-game praise of oh. DeAndre Bembry. I'm not going to comment on that other than to say I know what he meant. And that is that it was a guy who could take the ball up the court, who can make yeah. good decisions in transition. Uh, and, man, he looked like the best cutter on the team, too. Uh, quickly on Bembry, what do you see out there? 
Yeah, um, I I think I see him more in the the Hollis Jefferson role. Uh, that's I what I was saying. Like it's a bit of a hybrid. Like maybe yeah. he doesn't have quite the defensive versatility that. But he's also going to give you more shooting. It already looks like you're going to get more in terms of the jump shot. Maybe not a ton in terms of the jump shot. He's a 27. Yeah, he's not a good three-point shooter, but he can hit one every so often and will take one. I mean, I guess Rondé did take one. A lot better than (laughs) Rondé's did. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, there are obviously differences there, but Rondé w- would ha- handle the ball a little bit too when he was in the game last year. I, I just mean, I think more in terms of role, because uh, if, if there's anything to take away from these preseason games, it's it's getting a pretty good look, I, I think, at what Nick's vision of the rotation is at this yeah. point. He's been pretty straightforward about that. You've got, I mean, the top six is pretty clear. You've got yeah. the four returning starters. Lowry's going to move into the uh, starting lineup, which bumps Norm to the six-man role. Baines, we knew, would start or had a pretty good idea would start. And then from there, like, it's it's been Matt Thomas and Chris Boucher in, I guess, what would end up being the seven and eight-man role. I guess you could argue, based on what we've seen, that Malachi and Terrence Davis are the nine and ten. So Bembry is your 11th man, and, and that's pretty much where Rondé was to start the year last year. He didn't really play much until injuries opened up an opportunity, and that's sort of where I see this headed too, is I, I think Bembry might need an injury or one of those games like last night's where you're just – you're the, the offense isn't isn't as Dwayne as Dwayne would say. I was just searching for something, just just searching exactly. for something. And, and if you're going to need one of those games, but then he's going to get in there at some point. And also, like Malachi, he doesn't seem like the type of guy that passes up opportunities very often. I think he's going to have an opportunity this year, and I think he's going to take advantage of it. I, I think he's going to have an impact, sort of in what I wrote yesterday, sort of as like an X factor, or as uh, as uh, Nick called him, a utility type player. Um, I like him. I, I think also in, in, this, in a different way than, than Flynn is, but the same sort of idea. He's a very Raptors-y type yeah. player. Um, quickly on the negative side, uh, the starters when they were in the game, and of course this isn't the normal starting lineup. Kyle Lowry was not in Tampa uh, given uh, leave by the team. Uh, to or given permission to not travel to Charlotte, uh, so good, good for Kyle. Um, the starters uh, with Norm taking his place were outscored fifty-one to thirty-two uh, on the uh, over the two games. A lot of offensive struggles. They sort of needed a big spurt from Fred Van Vliet to even get up to there and. Uh, there were a few issues in transition, but I would say it was more of an offensive issue than a defensive issue. Uh, considering we left last season with that being our biggest concern about the Raptors, their sort of half-court creation, uh, was the start was that glaring to you, or how much are you writing it off with all the preseason caveats to factor again as they do? Well, the reality is there's no tangible reason to believe that anything is going to be drastically different in in that area this year. Like, I know people were excited about the addition of Chris Finch, but let's not pretend like Nick Nurse isn't a capable offensive mind himself. You know, (laughs) 
we've forgotten that when he came to the Raptors, that's that was his reputation. <laughs> no, now he's the defensive yeah, guy. Yeah, no, that, that's um, a great p- bit of PR work by uh, by Nick Nurse uh, behind the scenes. I, I, having, I'm half joking. Anyway, continue. Having Finch doesn't hurt, but it's also not going to drastically change things in the way that signing yeah. a player or trading for a player that drastically changes things would. This is more or less the same personnel that struggled in the half court last year. So yeah, you're going to need a significant amount of internal growth and maybe um, a shift in philosophy in terms of how this team operates and how they hunt their shots and move without the ball and, and, and all of that. I, I think you can expect maybe a few small tweaks here and there, um, but I don't think all of a sudden this team is going to go from uh, one that, that really struggled to score in the half court to one that's great at scoring in the half court. Um, I Yeah, I, I wouldn't say I'm like, reading too much into what we've seen in, in terms of the negatives in the preseason or even the positives. But I, I think it's fair to say that that remains a concern, not because of what we've seen in two games against Charlotte that don't count, but because of what we know yeah. to be the case from last season. And it stands to reason that to the extent that Chris Finch will make a difference, most of those, uh, you know, things or plays or whatever he has up his sleeve wouldn't be on showcase at preseason games one and two, uh, even if there are only three this year. Uh, you, you don't want to give much of your playbook away uh, in Charlotte and whatever we're calling this time of year. Last thing, and, and let's keep this super short, neither Chris Boucher or Alex Len, uh, or Aaron Baines for that matter, but but I think we can be a little bit more confident about his utility. Uh, Boucher and Len, neither of them looked super reliable in their minutes. Uh, on a scale of 1 to 10, where is your angst here with uh, the backup big minutes, let's call them? I have almost no angst because I have almost no expectations. <laughs> That's the key to life, baby! <laughs> <laughs> I, I hate to say this because this really isn't like, th- this is an uninspiring uh, way to describe this stopgap solution that the Raptors have in the front court, but it's fine. Like those guys are fine. The solution this year is fine because that's all it needs to be. Um, the more you say it's fine, the more you rely remind me of the dog cartoon at the burning house. But uh, I, I actually <laughs> agree. Fine. I actually agree. It is fine, but uh, you're saying it with enough enthusiasm that it seems like you're protesting too much. <laughs> Based on what the Raptors have at virtually every other position, their depth um, at guard, their depth on the wing, their versatility at those positions, and all of the talent that they have there. I don't think that you need great bigs, high-usage bigs. And again, given the Raptors' ambitions in 2021 and beyond, and the fact that these guys that, that need to be able to at least fill the void to some degree this year, and I think they can, they're not going to be the long-term solution here. So, yeah, I mean, I think they're fine. I don't think they need to be more than fine. I think Chris Boucher is a good player, an intriguing player. I'm excited to see what he can do in a bigger role. My expectation, as I think yours is and a lot of people's are, is that he'll have some really good games. He'll have some really, really bad games. It'll rarely be boring. When he's (laughs) out there, he's going to do something, and it's either going to be really good or really bad. And, yeah, I mean, I don't think we're going to see much of Alex Len unless the matchups sort of dictate that you need a bigger guy. Uh, in that role. Um, Baines will give you the 15 to 20 minutes of hard screens and um, uh, the occasional three and and whatnot. General delightfulness. Uh, 
I love Aaron Baines, like especially I can't imagine Fred Van Vliet is going to want to talk to us every day. So uh, the the getting Aaron Baines a few days a week or once a week. Yeah, uh, the degree to which he's he somewhat trolls his wife and his media calls is <laughs> enjoyable. Um, but we don't have time to get into that. Uh, I think he's a smart player. And he'll fit in well. I think the Raptors are going to have to play small a lot more in their most meaningful minutes than they did last regular season. Um, and you never know. Like, Boucher had a great spurt last year uh, while, like, they were in the throes of those injuries. So uh, they have a few options to go to. I, like you, I, I don't think it's great. It's not a position of strength, but it's also not this huge fear I have. Uh, it's fine. Yes, it's fine. And if we've learned anything today, it's that it won't matter in March when the Raptors trade for Carl Anthony Towns, who will be sick of playing with his best friend in Minnesota by that point. Right? Yes. <laughs> Josh Lewenberg, you, you... That seems like a, reason, the, a reasonable thing. Yeah, well... Uh, I mean, I'm used to being slightly less reasonable than Blake, so I had to throw it in there. Uh, so well. I'm in the Blake role? Um, I don't know. You didn't come with the hot take gun like Waz did. Uh, no, actually, Waz didn't either, and uh, I had to... Tr- There's some pressure in this seat to be reasonable, yeah. like more reasonable. I, I, I don't think that I'm unreasonable, but there's definitely more pressure in well, this Well, just chair. so you know, like the reasonablest. Uh, did you watch Parks and Recreation? No. So it's named at the the reasonablists were a group in parks like a a sort of conspiracy theory theorizing group uh, in the town of Pawnee, Indiana, and they they just believe all these crazy things, which again has become all too real in actual life now. Um, but they called themselves the reasonablists, so nobody could argue with them. Uh, like, so their points would seem fair and, and like, well-reasoned, uh, when in reality, their takes were just bat poop insane. So, uh, that's an Easter egg for all you listeners and should be, should you be on this podcast another time, an invitation for you, Josh Lewenberg, to be slightly more zany and off the wall. Well, hopefully nothing here has been too bat poop insane. <laughs> yeah. Uh, any final Raptors thoughts, uh? before we get you out of here and back to uh, your your day job? While we were talking about Baines and Len, I'm just thinking that, like, those two appear to be, like, the spawn of Jonas Valanciunas to me. Like, the, the not quite... If you took Jonas and, and divided his genes up into two <laughs> different centers, so they've got, like, a little bit of his personality, a little bit of, like, his, his appearance, a little bit of his game. Neither are quite as good, yeah. but, like, remind you a little bit of him. Yeah, no, like... Le- That's Len and Baines. What Len does out there is very familiar. Uh, Even the way he moves. Yeah, exactly. That really reminds me of Jonas. Again, not... My girlfriend was in the, in the room yesterday, and she's like, is that JV? <laughs> Um, I, I guess we're just, uh, you know, xenophobic against all Eastern Europeans here, saying all seven-foot Eastern Europeans are the same. Uh, that's that's where we're going I'm gonna get here. some angry tweets. As, uh, yes. As a six-foot man of uh, Eastern European descent, I'm going to guess your descendants come from Eastern Europe at least a little bit, too, Josh. Uh, we mean no harm. I love the Eastern Europeans. Josh Lewenberg, you can find his work at tsn.ca, tsn 
10.50 on TSN, the sports network uh, as as well. Thank you so much for filling in. It was uh, much appreciated. Thank you for having me. Now I will go um, continue to uh, try and and, and be my best Blake and, and write a long feature and study the uh, minutiae of the uh, max contract extension <laughs> that Giannis just signed. Uh, come back next week, everybody, for maybe Blake. Uh, definitely some talk on whatever happens with OG Ananobi's uh, potential rookie extension. Thanks for listening, as always. See ya!